If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 309. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. I am an author. I am a writer. And I am a podcaster. What is this podcast? Well, this podcast is where I go to have a one-sided conversation with you where I talk about what's on my mind from what's going on in the world to what's going on in my life to what's just going on in my head that week. It's not supposed to be jokes. It's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, always real. Here, let's do really quick while I have your attention, I got some road dates coming up between now and the end of the year. These are set in stone. If you live within 90 miles of any of these places, you better jump on it now because that means I am not coming within 90 miles within a year. So let's begin. Coming up soon, Thursday, November 6th. Nope, 7th. Thursday, November 7th, I'll be in Oklahoma City. Back, back for the third time. Friday, November 8th, I will be in Milwaukee back at my old haunt, the Turner Hall Ballroom. Come and see me. Uh, I know you guys, Hillary Clinton didn't campaign in Milwaukee. Well, Jen Kirkman's coming to Milwaukee, so why don't you get off your butts and go to the goddamn show? How's that sound? I'll be selling and signing copies of my books after every show and and all new material. You haven't seen it on Netflix, and if you've seen me before in these cities, you didn't see this stuff. So there you go. I mean, come on. Go support live comedy. Um Again, as I always say, we do Netflix specials uh, for the exposure, and some of us get a great paycheck. Uh, some people get $80 million. I'm not the one that got $80 million. So uh, I actually perform on the road for a living, and if people don't come, then I don't pay the bills. And there actually have been gigs this year that I've lost money on. So when people are like, I'll just catch you next time, there is never a guarantee for a next time. There is only the now. So get your fucking asses off the couch and support the women in this business that means something to you, because if you don't support what you love, it goes away. Then how about this December oh November 17th one night only San Francisco that one's going really fast there's five individual seats left in the like VIP section um, tables that are close to the front and so if there are five loners who like really good seats then that's for you every inch of details is on jenkirkman.com click tour or just right there on the homepage jenkirkman.com tickets are on sale right now and for most shows tickets are cheaper if you buy them in advance second of all how about this? How about Friday, December 6th in Richmond, Virginia, my Richmond debut, and it's a show called Comedy with a Touch of Christmas. I will be doing my regular act, but a few other Christmas-infused um, routines and sketches, selling and signing books after the show, and a, pro a portion of the proceeds from my book sales will go to your local food bank. The same situation is happening the next night, Saturday, December 7th in Durham, North Carolina. I am doing two shows at the Motor Co. Same thing, Comedy with a Touch of Christmas. Books after the show, portion of the proceeds to your local food bank. And then the big one, the big final end of the year show that makes everybody so happy. It is always sold out every year, but it's always right at the last minute. So 
Make sure you get your tickets now, December 13th, Friday the 13th, the dysfunctional Christmas show at the Hollywood Improv. It is my eighth annual. There is music. There is free candy. There is sketches. There are interviews with an, an actor that's been in a Hallmark movie. There's going to be so much merriment. And again, $10 of every book I sell will go to the Los Angeles Food Bank. So that's going to be great. You can Christmas shop, do a good deed, meet me after the show. We'll take a picture. It's going to be so fun. Now, we are half sold out on that show. So I need you to finish it off. Just finish it off. And that way I don't have to hire a publicist and waste all this money. So why don't you go to jenkirkman.com right now, click tour, get a group together. It's super fun. You can even make a dinner reservation there. It's the most heartwarming show of the year. I, I like I can't even explain it to you. Um, it's just such magical good vibes, and it's for the Grinch and the uh, Santa in all of you. It's unironic and ironic merriment. Whew, and that's it. And then Sacramento, these tickets are going well. The January 2nd through 4th, I am uh, at the Sacramento Punchline. So if you don't like going out on New Year's Eve, go out on January 2nd, 3rd, or 4th. And then uh, January 12th, one night in San Diego. So that, that's it. A lot of California love coming up. In December and January. Why not? It's easy to travel within my own state during those months than fly somewhere else in the snow. So there you go. Please get tickets in advance, jenkirkman.com. And don't forget, if you buy tickets in advance and we sell out, we can always add shows. And that's the beauty of it. Um, so if you're like, why is this guy so popular? I don't like him. Because his fans buy tickets right away. And they don't wait. And they don't go, when are you coming here? When are you coming there? So I need you guys. You're my greatest publicist. So if you buy tickets to my shows, please tweet about it, Facebook about it, Instagram about it, and tag me and take a picture of your ticket, take a picture of your mom, take a picture of your cat. I don't care. And do hashtag Jen Kirkman and then the city that you're buying tickets for. Something, anything. Hashtag Jen Kirkman tour. I don't give a shit. Just make me aware of it and I will retweet you and we will get it going. And that's how you kind of build word of mouth. But let's pick a hashtag. How about hashtag Jen Kirkman comedy? That's easy enough, right? Perfect. No, no, no. Let's do hashtag Jen Kirkman tour. Hashtag Jen Kirkman tour. That's what you use and you buy tickets to my shows and then tweet about it, Instagram it. I'll always, whatever. I'll always love you. All right. Now let's get on with the goddamn show. Enough promotion, but I got to get it out. That's what, you know, you got you to gotta let people know. Here's what we're going to be talking about this week. Yes, I have put up my Christmas decorations, and I want to talk about a kid in Pier 1 who is pissing me off, saying everyone's getting ready for Christmas too goddamn early and why he's wrong. We're going to talk about this mother who adopted what she thought was a child, but it was a 22-year-old miniature woman who tried to kill the entire family. And I'm going to tell you, that's our special Halloween story um, this week. It is a true story. And, you know... Um, I might talk about how I did Drunk History last week and how that went. And uh, I ran into someone from college who I don't remember, and I lived next door to them for a year. So all kinds of fun stuff uh, coming up in this episode if we have time, some listener emails. So let's get to it. Let's start with this, that it is. Oh, someone is so nice. My hair, I'm going for a very specific look. It is not Joan Jett. It is not Tina Fey. And not that they're not great women, but I don't think most women find either one like Earth's biggest compliment. But there is um, this androgynous model named Freha Beha Erickson or whatever her name is. And my hairdresser was like, why don't you try to go for her hairdo? Now, I'm getting my hair cut actually in two days to, get, to make it even more like hers. And I was like, I'm going for 25-year-old androgynous model. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to lighten it more because I can't I can't see I'm being called Joan Jett anymore. I mean, she's wonderful, but I'm not a 60 year old. OK, so anyway. Not 25 year old either. So here we go. 
in case you're listening to this, like, what prompted that? I'm reading comments uh, because I'm taping this live on Instagram Live, but I will stop doing that. So here's what's happening. So, okay, I put up my Christmas decorations. Now, let me explain myself. It's this... It's not this, I love Christmas so much and I'm starting to sing the Christmas songs already. I used to be like that. I'm not quite like that anymore. Putting up Christmas decorations has become this, it's a seasonal, transitional, decorational necessity, almost a a job, if you will. And it takes about four hours, even though I live in a two-bedroom condo. It shouldn't be, it's not like I live in uh, this palatial thing that, you know, they'll make a Hallmark movie about such a thing. I'm a stuffy lawyer, real estate guy, and doctor, and I live in a giant mansion, and it's two weeks to Christmas, and I need to redo my mansion, and I need to have it decorated for the big Christmas festival thing that's on December 24th. And then they'll hire this one woman who's like, I'll decorate it. I have no team, no contractors. It's just me. I'm a single mom. Maybe my kid will run through, but I'll get it done. And then, you know, she has to spend so much money and it takes two weeks to decorate this palatial estate. That's not what we're talking about with JK's house. So, but it just takes a while because I take everything out of the very organized tubs that are labeled in my uh, office closet. And then I bring it all out into the living room and I take everything out of the tubs and I spread it out. And I always make sure, well, I had gone to Pier 1 first and then I excused myself and I went, I don't even know what I have in my tubs. Why am I shopping first? So I got back home. I looked at everything and I went, it's time to start decorating. Now, here's how I knew it was time. I had to work yesterday, which is a Sunday. And by work, I mean write. And as a writer, I write every day. But... I'm working on some TV ideas, some pitches, some whatever. And there's actually a project I'm in the middle of writing, and it requires me writing stuff and then handing it over to the producers, and then they give notes. And I never know when I'm going to get their notes back. But once I get it back, i got to start in on it. It takes days, blah, blah. So I'm in that sweet spot, yet anxious spot, where any minute now I could get an email like, here's all the notes, address them right now, bye. And so... Yesterday was Sunday. Nobody was going to email me out of the blue. Like, you guys don't understand my schedule every day is like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it changes every day like the day before. I'm going to constant meetings and this and that. So there's never a good time on a weekday to put up my decorations. And then, you know, next weekend I'm on the road. This coming weekend I'll probably be working, writing. And so I just thought... I think it's time. It's almost like an early labor where you're like, look, I can't shove the kid back in. It's just coming out. It's coming out. And so I just said, I I have to start putting the decorations up. And, you know, um, I didn't put the tree up. So I feel like that's something that I can do as more of an event and I can do it closer to Thanksgiving, maybe have a couple gals over, have like a tree trimming party and some wine, you know, that type of thing. But I did put I did put away the normal decorations and I put out my I do this. I don't know. To me, it seems like the craftiest person who ever lived. I take empty vases and I have this fake snow that I bought and these little gems and jewels and fake pine cones. And I throw it all in a vase and I wrap fairy lights on the inside of it. And then I but like, you know, the thing has a battery pack in it. So I put it down on the bottom first. 
Then I put all the snow and stuff on top of it. And it's just this lit up vase with this like Christmas, Christmasiness. And I have a remote control thing. So I don't have to keep sticking my hand in the vase every day. So I was putting those together last night and I realized I don't have any AA batteries. And I had some left over from last year that I put in a bag because I was being responsible. But they die. They just die. And so none of them worked. And I didn't want to get up. I'd been out and about all day. So I was like, I'm going to Postmates, which is, you know, like an app for like food delivery. But they do deliver from a CVS pharmacy. So I ordered like 40 batteries. And I was afraid that dudes were like, is this woman just like home with a vibrator? Like, I need 40 batteries, please. I'm in heat. But um, I got them. And hopefully the guys, when I opened the door, saw... um, that I was decorating for Christmas and not just spending a night with a vibrator. Not that you would even need double A's for such a thing. But anyway, I got it all done in about three and a half hours. I did have the Hallmark Channel on in the background and uh, was watching their movies. They already have some new ones out. So, I mean, the season is beginning. I know it's not even Halloween, but look, it's two months. In two months, Christmas will be over. And I'm only home, um, you know, what is that, eight weeks? I'm only home like six out of those eight weeks. So give me something. Give me something. So it looks a little weird, especially because I live in L.A. It's a little hot right now. It's not cooled down yet. But um, but it's tasteful. It's tasteful winter decor. And then I have like two little glowing glass pumpkins. And I put them up next to what I call the widowed grandmother Christmas tree. It's like that white ceramic thing. I have that on my on a little table. So, you know, it's a little weird, but it's cute. I got the scented candles going. We've got mulled cider and then some kind of like foresty thing that's sort of vanilla, a little patchouli, but smells like a forest, not like a hippie with a vanilla latte. So it's up. I mean, what do you want me to do? And uh, we'll put the tree up at a more, you know, socially acceptable hours. But when I went to Pier 1, Pier 1, I'm I'm stressed every day that it's going to close because there's no one ever in it. And I don't just mean the one in my neighborhood. I mean the one all over America. There's always just one person in there and it's me. And I don't want it to ever close because I like the stuff there. I like their decorations. And so I'm there and they've got Halloween stuff on clearance because Halloween's in two days. And then they had all the Christmas stuff out. What do you want them to do? people. You want them to not have Christmas stuff out in advance? A giant corporation that's trying to make money? Maybe some people shop for that stuff in advance and they put it away. But when people go, it's too early to have Christmas decorations up. No, it's a store and the holiday ends in six weeks. It's not too early. In fact, if they had it up in January, go, some people are planning ahead. It's not that crazy. And this argument, I think people think it makes them sound smart and like they're so like, like they're Lenny Bruce or Bill Hicks or something. Like uh, like of regular people, they're like, I'm not going to get caught up in this corporatization of Christmas. Yes, you are. That's the best part of it. You want real Christmas? Go find a fucking donkey and a manger. And when someone comes and brings you incense and myrrh, be like, oh, what a great gift. And then, you know, go do that. Go be running from the census takers in the Middle East and sit in a manger. That's Christmas. You want real? Get real. You don't want real. You want corporate Christmas, but you only want it during this shortened amount of time. Now, do you see how absurd your argument is? You're not arguing for us to get back to what Christmas is all about. You're like, I want it from December 1st to December 25th. Well, boo-hoo, some people want it a little sooner, especially a giant corporation that's got to make money, honey. So I'm in there and I'm looking at all the decorations and they're having some sales because that's what they do. You got to get in early and get those sales. So... This kid is in there with his dad 
And he's like, Dad, this store is so different than Ikea. And his dad was like, Ikea is more streamlined. And he's like, what's streamlined? I guess that's an important moment in a child's life. And the dad was like, well, clean lines. What's clean lines? I mean, you couldn't even explain. And the kid wasn't that young. It was like 10, 11, 12. He's like, it's just more simple. It's not where you go for decorations. And so the kid was all offended by all the things in Pier 1. Now, I, I don't remember much about childhood because it was 70 years ago, but there was no Pier 1 in my town. And the decorations we had came from bins up in, in, the, in the attic or the basement or some, somewhere. And they were passed down from generations. You know, we didn't buy these decorations. You know, certainly there weren't fun colors like pink and blue and white as part of our Christmas decoration. Now, not complaining. I loved our Christmas decorations. We put that fake snow, just a sheet of it with sparkles on it on top of the piano, not a grand piano, but, you know, an upright piano. And then we'd put the little manger that my mom had as a kid that her dad had in Germany. And then, you know, you stick the lights inside the little manger. And my sister and I, every year, we had two Josephs for some reason, like the, the, one of the Joseph, the Joseph is, and I'm Joseph and as of Mary and Joseph, Jesus's dad. Well, he was the same as just some rando like sheep herder. So my sister and I would always put the two Josephs together um, like as like two gay men raising a son. And then we'd put Mary like out somewhere having fun. My mother go, Oh, you girls. And so, um, you know, that was, that was the Thanksgiving fun. I mean the, the Christmas fun, but yeah, we didn't put up the decorations until maybe right after Thanksgiving, but I mean the next day now. And it was always so much fun, but if I were a kid and someone said, there's this store pier one or imagine any store, And they took me there in October and I saw pink Christmas trees and feathers and sparkles and lights. I would have been like, oh, my God, I know that a grown up did this because grown ups run stores. So there's like grown ups out there who like to have fun even two months before Christmas. There's there's a world where people envision that that there's just pretty sparkly, nice things to look at. Because because on TV, this guy keeps saying we're going to get nuked by Russia. So I'm pretty stressed out as a little Gen X kid. And and that Prince song, 1999, he says the world's going to end in 1999. So I like that time of year when we put up nice things and and put lights everywhere. Wait, there's a store doing it in October? Take me to this magical store. You know, it's like Disneyland. I got my Mickey Mouse shirt on. I don't even like Mickey Mouse, but the shirt is actually, I think, very fashionable. Anyway, so the kid is running around Pier 1 just criticizing. Why are they doing it so early? And I just wanted to sit him down and go, listen, kid, you live in America. This is a corporation. Fucking deal with it. I just wanted to go, why do you have this? What? 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 Ugh. There was the, what kind of child isn't joyful about decorations on the off season? That's rebellion. That's rebellion. What are you doing? Who whose game are you playing, Mister? This is when the holiday is. What are you, Roman Catholic Pope? It's not Advent, everybody. Shut up. You know, let the let the Pope be worried about Christmas too early. Not a kid. A kid. And then his dad was like, all right, let's go. You're complaining too much. And I just wanted to go up to that dad and go, it's too bad you can't return those. Am I right? Am, am I right, people? <sighs> if I had a kid who complained about Christmas decorations too early, I would know 
that I had failed. Now, maybe that's not the dad's number one priority. It would be my priority. And and now if people are like, no, 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 you don't understand. I like them only up during these certain weeks because it, it builds some kind of excitement for me or I, that's fine. If it's an, an emotional reason, that's fine. But I could tell this kid just thought this is a smart, cool thing to say. And it's not. You sound like everybody else. Um, I tweeted something today that I thought would be controversial. And I'm actually really happy to hear that it's not. I tweeted that the song Baby Shark is better than simply having a wonderful Christmas time. And everyone was like, yeah, that is true. And everyone hates Baby Shark. At the end of the day, people are like, that song's so annoying. But I am I feel like I found my people because that Paul McCartney Christmas song, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, it's not music. And I've had dudes try to argue it with me. I don't really understand how the the pitch key and he's a genius and it works because it's terrible. Stop defending Paul McCartney. He's allowed to make a mistake. He's lived a long time. He's had a lot of great songs. You're not going to win every time. Now, I don't know what he was thinking with this song. His other songs have more depth and more meaning than, I mean, Christmas time is a big deal, right? If, we, if we're just going to go on the religious aspects of it, it's a time of rebirth and hope. At the very least, it's gift giving, seeing friends and family. I mean, let it be when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. That's a Christmas song. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. It, it's awful. That part I hate. Oh, I, and then the electronic. I, I literally just, I want John Lennon to come back for five minutes and I want to go, John, l- let me play you something. And I want to see his face. When I'm like, Paul wrote this, and it plays in malls at Christmas all the time, and it's considered a Christmas song the way Bing Crosby, I'm I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, is considered a Christmas song. And I just want John to just put his head in his hands and go, oh, and then just, you know, go back and leave the earth. Someone is leaving me a very long comment on this. Um, I work retail for almost 18 years, and I want to punch people when they complain about Christmas stuff being out in October. I'm like... My back room is small. I can't sell shit from the back room. That's right. I am here for the American worker. I should run for fucking president. All right. But I do, I actually, it's not even just in comparison to simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I fucking love Baby Shark. It makes me happy. It works for me. I don't even know. I always end up singing ABC123 when I sing Baby Shark. Baby Shark, easy as Baby Shark, Baby Shark, Baby Shark, Baby Shark, 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 Girl, but that's not how it goes. Baby Shark, do 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 (laughs) do. It's fucking pure joy. It is the answer to our problems. Like I literally just want to, you know, that everyone was booing Trump at the at the baseball game, and. And I understand that. And and Joe Scarborough or whatever was, I don't get it. Oh, because you're a never Trumper, which means you're still a conservative of the Trump nature. And uh, you'll find any reason to defend him secretly. But I don't trust the never Trumpers. Real good timing getting off that bus. You helped create the bus that he rode in on. Anyway, so. Baby shark. I feel like I could just get a boombox and that's as far as my techno- technology goes. And I could just go to places where people are deeply unhappy 
And I don't mean like suffering from depression or something real, but like a rally of people who are at some kind of political rally looking for answers. And I could just go, I don't have an answer, but we all need some joy and just hit play and just make everyone dance. I saw people doing it at some kind of game. I realize we're right in the middle of the World Series. I don't know who's in it. I don't care. I think it was a World Series game. People were all doing it. And I was like, that's beautiful. To me, it's a we are the world all over again. You know, I'm I'm from that generation of giant concerts on a grand scale that everybody stayed home and watched on TV. I watched Live Aid on TV. And then We Are the World. And you just felt everyone coming together. And I think Baby Shark could heal the world. I really, really do. Um, yeah, people... Oh, someone said, can you be live 24-7? This is very comforting. A lot of people with certain mental disorders find me comforting. Like there was a woman that wrote me and she was like, my husband's autistic. He can't listen to anything except you. And I was like, oh my God, I love that. Um, I cannot be on here 24-7, but you can listen to my podcast, Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman. It's on iTunes. It's on all the places that you find podcasts. Go to my website, jenkirkman.com. Click podcast and you've got six years to catch up on. So there you go. All right. So there it is. My Christmas decorations are up. The scents are scenting. And let's talk about this fucked up mom. (laughs) It's so horrible. I'm truly a bad person. Um, I didn't do it. Listen, before we go, before we uh, go further, just let me get, get you hip to my advertiser today. Um, Case to and I actually use them. I would show you, but my phone is is recording this. It is the world's slimmest, most protective phone case. And I'm telling you guys, I have the new iPhone and I've dropped it six times and it's totally fine because I've got my case to fly on it. With tons of classic designs, stylish collaborations, and the ability to create your own custom case, Case Defy lets you keep your phone safe without sacrificing style. It is literally, literally, mil- military grade drop protection, right? So Case Defy cases have a two-layer Chi Tech material construction, and they've passed a drop test from a height of 6.6 feet. They offer military-grade foam protection, and they have thousands of designs to choose from. You could spend all day on the website. I have a clear case with gold sparkles in it with kind of a gel. It's really, really cute and definitely age-appropriate. Um, you, you can even customize it, put your name on it or put other words on it. You can make a phone case that no one else will have. And they have fun collaborations with actual designers like... Yves Saint Laurent, Sarah Jessica Parker, DHL, Wonder Woman, and the Rolling Stones. So just go to casetify.com slash fun and get 20% off your purchase. And it's so easily, it's so easily, it's so nicely priced anyway. 20% off is a big effing deal, folks. Um, Casetify, C-A-S-E-T-I-F-Y dot com slash fun. Get 20% off your purchase. This is a sponsor that I went after because I found their stuff through an Instagram ad and I loved them and I I like to make my own phone cases and I'm serious you can drop your phone and it's like totally fine and they make all different you know for all the phones out there all right so let's talk about what happened to the Bartnett family this is our spooky Halloween story now people keep writing me things on my live video and um 
Somebody said, how about a live video of me commenting through a Hallmark movie? I did that once and it didn't work out because you you can't pay attention and listen at the same time. But I will be beginning a Patreon thing. Um, So I will not be doing any more uh, extra content for free because I just don't have a lot of fucking time. I don't really even have a social life. So here's the deal. Um, Coming up soon, my subscribers, uh, there'll be increments of five, 10, 15, 20 dollars a month and there will be uh, bonus content and uh, free merch and gifts and things. You will be actually getting a deal like like you wouldn't believe the best deal. But um, that that's all going to be taking a couple months to put together. Um, it, it, I'm 50% it's going to happen. I have to work with the Patreon people. Um, we'll see what happens. But we don't need to go crazy thinking about that yet. But so here's the deal. This is our spooky Halloween story from the Bartnett family. Okay. Christine Bartnett and her ex-husband, Michael, have been charged with abandoning their daughter when she was nine years old in Lafayette, Indiana, and fleeing to Canada. So I saw that headline, and I was like, that's fucked up. And then I went, and I totally judged uh, by their looks. I went to the article, and I saw pictures of these people. And the mom, Christine Bartnett, was, you know, her eyes were all red, and she was crying, and she looked kind of a mess. And then I realized, well, yeah, that. Well, if you're arrested for abandoning your daughter, but it wasn't your fault and she's not really nine, we'll get into that, then you're going to look pretty haggard, especially if the reason you abandoned her is because you were running from her because she was trying to murder you. And so nobody in a, in, a, in a headshot, did I say headshot before I meant mugshot? Nobody in a mugshot is going to be looking their best. And I don't think it was up to me to judge her by her picture and go, oh, she's totally guilty. This is fucked up. So I kept reading the article because I'm I'm really a wimp. I don't like scary things. I don't like things about murder. I don't think like things about hurting children. Imagine that. And what a great person I am. So now I'm having trouble getting onto the internet. So you guys will have to give me one second. Um, for some reason, I log in here every week. It's just being a little bit of a bitch. I don't know what's happening. So let me just give you the bullet points of this article um, that I have in my hand right here. But um, yeah, my internet, my computer is going absolutely apeshit. So I'm just going to um, restart my computer and hope that helps something, but it's going to eat up some time. So in an exclusive interview with the Daily Mail TV, Kristen denies the claims and says that she and her husband, Michael, her now ex-husband, were victims of a fraud claiming that the girl they adopted was an adult con artist who tried to kill her. Kristen and Michael agreed to the emergency adoption of Ukrainian-born Natalia Grace in May 2010 from Florida, and they were told that she was six. Now, these people have adopted other kids as well, and it's gone quite well, so I thought it was just this one-time thing, and I was like, are they weird? Are they crazy? But they have a pretty good track record, and they have other adopted kids from from other countries. So but let's just read the bullet points of this and then we'll get down to business because it's still up in the air. There's some people who don't who don't agree with them at all. Okay, Bartnett daughter tried to kill them. Yeah, you get genius content. All right. Okay, here we go. She tried to kill us. So this is what happened. This couple They adopt this girl from the Ukraine. And uh, this this mom was a mom of three. And uh, she's also a parenting author. Like, she's not a joke. She's, like, into being a mom. 
And they adopted this six-year-old girl from the Ukraine. And it's exactly, I guess, like this movie Orphan. So within a year, the mom claims that her daughter, Natalia, who was supposed to be six or seven, tried pushing her onto an electric fence, poured bleach into her coffee, and threatened to stab the Bartnets, the parents, in their sleep. Natalia was treated, that's a little girl, by mental health specialists who determined she was an adult and pressed the courts to have her birth certificate changed. In 2012, a superior court in Indianapolis decided that Natalia, the little girl, was actually born in 1989 based upon medical evidence. So that would make her 1989, 1999, 2009, 22 years old. The Bartnets moved to Canada and left Natalia in an apartment in Lafayette. Um, An affidavit of probable cause states that the experts carried out bone density tests on Natalia in June 2010, and they concluded she was eight years old. So there's two different experts. Mental health experts are like, she's 22. And some other medical people did bone density tests and said she's eight. Now, she's a tiny person, so I don't know if the bone density is bad because she has another disease. Like, I don't know. But... um, a sheriff department in Tippecanoe alleges that Natalia was a child when they abandoned her in 2013. Arrest warrants were issued. Michael and Catherine surrendered to authorities and they've been released on bail. So I don't know. I I mean, I'm looking at the little girl and it's like, there's part of you that's like, this is just a little girl. Look at her. She's just a little girl. But I don't, why would these people lie? So. Here's the deal. There is something... (laughs) I'm a horrible person. There is something kind of like evil looking about this girl. Um, So here's the deal. Here's Here's like the whole story. They're a Christian couple. I'm not saying that makes them good people. But they adopt this adorable little girl only to discover she's potentially an adult sociopath masquerading as a child. This is literally the exact plot of a 2009 movie called Orphan. I did not see it. I will not see it. But as far-fetched as it sounds, that is the defense being put forward by the mom of three and parenting author. Um, She's 45 and her husband's 43. And they broke off all contact with her and moved to Canada. And then I guess they were found in Canada and they were arrested. Um, Police say the girl was left to fend for herself for three years despite having a rare form of dwarfism. That means she's three feet tall and has problems walking. But in an exclusive interview at an undisclosed location, Christine insists there's a major flaw. Natalia is not nine. She is 22 years old. She claims that they were terrorized for years by the mysterious girl who tried to stab them in her sleep, pushed them towards an electric fence and poured bleach in their coffee. She would make statements and draw pictures saying she wanted to kill the family members, roll them up in a blanket and put them in the backyard. She was standing over people in the middle of the night with sharp objects. We couldn't go to sleep and we had to start hiding all the sharp objects. I saw her putting chemicals, bleach, Windex, something like that in my coffee. And I said, what are you doing? And she smiled and said, I'm trying to poison you. What the fuck? The media is painting me to be a child abuser, but there's no child here, said Bartnett. Natalia was a woman. She had periods. She had adult teeth. She never grew a single inch, which would happen with a child who had dwarfism. Well, that to me is the biggest proof. She had a fucking period. She was jumping out of 
Um, the doctors all confirmed she was suffering a severe psychological illness only diagnosed in adults. Yeah, called being a sociopath murderer. She was jumping at a moving car. She was smearing blood on mirrors. She was doing things you could never imagine a child doing. Um, Bartnett and her ex-husband have been hailed as exemplary parents with their child genius son, Jake. Um, Jake was diagnosed with autism at age two, but he had his first academic paper published at 12. And by 15, he was studying at a prestigious physics institute. So they've done good with one of their kids. So they adopt this little girl. Um, it was featured in a 2012 episode of 60 Minutes. But um, the, these guys are experienced foster parents. They ran a children's daycare from their home in Indiana. And they adopted the little girl from Florida in May of 2010. And uh, yeah, so the mom was like, tearfully in this interview saying, I, I, I promise we treated her as if she was our own biological child. We had no hesitation in adopting her despite learning that she had a bone growth disorder and that she, you know, had skeletal abnormalities and problems with vision. Vision, She said, I've, I've always wanted to have a larger family and I had very severe complications in my pregnancies and I was unable to have more children. I also at that time had a very privileged life. I felt that if I had the ability to help another person in the world, then I wanted to do it. Given just 24 hours to complete the emergency adoption, the couple raced to an adoption center in Florida to sign the paperwork and meet their six-year-old daughter. They knew precious few details from her background. Natalia had been in the U.S. for two years. She had a Ukrainian birth certificate, and she needed a home immediately because her previously adoptive parents suddenly gave her up for undisclosed reasons. <laughs> Out of compassion for their situation, this mom did not want to press them for information on what had gone wrong. That was your big mistake. I think you should just go, is there any chance your child is an adult who's trying to kill you? Is that why you gave her up? So there you go. Um, this bitch actually be 22 and trying to kill you. And you know what? Why take the chance? I would run out too. I'd be like, I'm so sorry. But if they're like, oh, she was living there for three years in this apartment. Well, if she was really nine. She probably wouldn't have made it that far. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, they said she was really nervous when they adopted her. They're like, oh, she's going to need a lot of support. We did notice immediately in the parking lot that she couldn't walk. There was nothing in the paperwork stating that, which is why I think she was faking it. Um, over the next few days, the couple showered her with attention. They took her to Disney World, ice cream, treats, pillow fights with her three brothers to slowly bring her out of her shell. When they did take Natalia to the beach for the first time, she did something that left the couple speechless. The boys rushed into the water and Natalia wanted to be carried into the ocean. Now, the mom says, my husband and myself were physically exhausted, so we asked her to wait just a few minutes. With that, she just got up and ran into the ocean. I remember looking at Mike and thinking, what's going on? She couldn't walk a second ago, and now she's running into the ocean? They got more alarmed when they saw their daughter naked for the first time. They were giving her a bath, and they noticed that she had full pubic hair. I'm sorry, but this is fucking so fucked up, and that just made me laugh. She's six. And they said, I was so shocked. I... I had just been told that she was a six-year-old, and it was very apparent that she wasn't. There were further clues to an apparent uh, deception. Natalia shunned dolls and toys, and she sought the company of teenage girls, and she appeared to use sophisticated vocabulary way beyond someone her age. She didn't have any trace of a foreign accent, and when the family asked a Ukrainian friend to speak in their native language, Natalia couldn't understand or describe her homeland. 
At the time, the mom says, I ran a little school and I remember she said to me, these children are exhausting. I don't know how you do it. That's what a child said to her mom. These these kids are exhausting. I don't know how you do it. I was like, you're supposed to be a child yourself. It was like something another mom would say as she dropped her kids off. It's very hard to decipher how old she is because she has such a unique look. But at that time, I started to believe she was probably a teenager. But I didn't have any regrets. This was what I wanted to do. I felt overwhelming love for her. Barnett says they soon began finding bloody clothing in the trash, suggesting Natalia was having her period and trying to conceal it. And then that's when they went to the doctor who ordered the bone density tests. And the results suggested she was at least 14 or older. And so they started to dress her a little more appropriately, you know, no more princess and pink and all that. But as questions swirled around her age, Natalia's behavior began to deteriorate. Um, She was watching on a baby monitor as Natalia attacked a baby boy when no one was in the room. And then uh, she would scoff at bonding exercises. She was smearing blood on the walls, making death threats and hearing voices as she was having a mental breakdown. So she would spend the next year being treated for various psychiatric disorders. And the mom said that this little girl, who's really an adult, tried to drag her onto an electric fence during a 2012 birthday outing. Natalia was placed long-term at a state-run psychiatric unit because she allegedly posed a risk to others. It was during her treatment that Natalia actually confessed to being far older than she appeared. So one clinical therapist um, said that Natalia told them she was 18. And then at another place in Indianapolis, she told the staff how she tried to kill her family members and had no remorse about it. So, you know, I, this sounds pretty legit to me. I mean, I believe all of these people, but there's just one asshole who's holding up everything. And he's like, no, bone density tests say she's 10. So these parents got arrested. Um, she and her husband rented an apartment for Natalia because they believed she was an adult. And um, they placed her under the supervision of state health care. They helped her get a social security number, apply for benefits, get food stamps and an ID. So they didn't just like leave her an apartment. They like set her up and they're like, we're going to peace out to Canada because we're fucking afraid of you. So they were talking daily. She even came up with a plan for Natalia to enroll in college and get her diploma and study cosmetology. I would not want that woman working on on me. I'm going to do a lip wax, but first I'm going to pour bleach down your throat. So they co-signed the lease. They paid her rent for up to a year. She helped her with groceries. She bought furniture at Target for her. She was optimistic for her daughter. And then they moved to Canada so her son could attend. Oh, okay. I thought they ran to Canada because they were afraid. They moved to Canada so her son, Jake the Genius, could attend an institute for theoretical physics in Waterloo. And they left Natalia behind at a rented apartment that they fully set her up with. And um, But she started... Uh, She stopped taking her medication and started posing as a child again to another unsuspected family. Um, She put a little pink dress in her closet and a little pink bicycle parked outside her apartment so that it looked like, oh, my God, my parents abandoned me. And um, and then she stopped talking to her parents. And then uh, the last time they spoke, she's like, I'm cooking spaghetti for my new family. And they were like, okay. And so they weren't abandoning her uh, in Canada, but they got arrested nonetheless. So I think this is so sad and legitimately terrifying to the point where like, even if I had a kid that was a kid, I would be scared and I would be like, 
Like, I feel like I'd be one of those moms where if I'm laying in bed and my kid comes into the room because they had a bad dream, I'd be like, ah, ah, ah. like just waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a child at the end of your bed. I'd be like, I know you're a good kid and I'm going to comfort you in one second from that nightmare you just had. But you legit have to understand just culturally how scary a child at the end of the bed is just standing and staring at you. Like we've been brought up on horror movies that that is really, really scary. So before I would comfort my kid, they would have to like prove to me that um, they're not secretly like a clown um, who's going to kill me. So anyway, uh, I don't know what's going on with this this family. They're They're supposed to have gone to court last month. And they, they had a lot of money in bail that they had to pay, but that is bone fucking chilling. So there's your little Halloween story. I don't like scary stories. Now, this is going to bother me. for the. Do you understand that I'm going to think about this for the rest of the day? And I don't want to. So let's read some listener emails and talk about some happy things. So, oh, I mentioned, so I went to see, um, if you guys live in L.A., I highly recommend going to see my friend Mike Birbiglia's show called The New One. It's um, at the Amrinson Theater or something in downtown LA. Um, and so I went with a friend of mine and uh, we'd gone to see it together in New York too. And so we're like, hey, let's make it like another thing we do. So we go to see it and um, we went to like this little thing afterwards, like a, just a quick little like, hey, have a drink and an appetizer after party at, at, after the thing. And so um, my friend, my friend, he was like, are you ready to go soon? I'm like, oh, totally. Let's get out of here. So we're leaving. And then this guy comes up to me and goes, hi, I'm Mike. I live next door to you in college. And I go, and oh, I've never seen you before in my life. Like not to be rude. He's like, no, I look different. And he showed me his picture. I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember that face from college. And he's like, I live next door to you. And I was like, I don't remember you. And he's like, we well, had a crush on my roommate. I'm like, oh, I remember your roommate because I had a crush on him. And then, um, but he was like, we hung out every day. And I was like, huh? And he was like, but I'm sober now, so it's all good. And I was like, wait, I don't know what's happening. And I, he's like, well, I know I don't remember much either. I'm like, but I wasn't unsober. Like I wasn't, I don't have the disease of alcoholism or drug addiction. And I wasn't like fucked up. Like I don't not remember because I was partying. Like I don't remember. <laughs> and I'm like, what's wrong with my brain? And I think that's what like panic and anxiety is pretty much about is like you kind of don't have a great memory. And so... And he was like, I'm sober now. You know how it is. We don't remember anything. We get sober. I was like, no, that's not the sitch. And so I felt really bad about that. But um, then someone else. So I was then someone tweeted me out of the blue the other day. I remember this sketch you did in college because um, I posted a picture of me dancing. And they're like, this reminds me of that crazy sketch you did in college. And I was in your comedy troupe. And I was like, huh? And they were like, the dancer who was in a wheelchair. I was like, I, I don't remember that sketch. It sounds deliciously unpolitically correct, though. Um, but I was like, how do I not remember that? How do I not remember writing that, performing in it? I mean, maybe I saw, I remember a wheelchair. There was a wheelchair in my apartment my junior year as like a chair in the living room. And I don't remember how it got there. So maybe it was from the sketch. I was just holding it for some, I don't fucking know. I don't know why I don't remember anything. I was not a drug user. It, it almost frightens me. I feel like I have like, I feel like I definitely know I will have Alzheimer's someday. My grandmother did and had it young. So enjoy it while it lasts, everybody. I did drunk history, speaking of substance abuse. And I, it's such a weird feeling. It, it really does take a day to recover from the shame of it because my intellectually, I know that I am drinking a lot for a television show. But my psychology, my DNA, my bones, my blood, my 
whatever is doesn't know that I drank two bottles of wine for any other reason than I'm a big loser who just sat there drinking all this 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 wine. Um, oh, this person says I have PTSD and I have similar amnesic walls. I think I do have a little PTSD too. I think that is what my anxiety always was in my life. So yeah, it's tough. It's PTSD, isn't it? Thank you for that. Um, anyway, so I did the drunk history. And I do, I did burst into tears again. And it wasn't even PMS. I just, I don't know what I was talking about, but it touched me. I think I was talking about how the care, the, the historical figure I'm talking about, like their parents were supportive, but not. And then I think I started crying, like my parents are supportive. I don't want them to die. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't want that part to be left in. Not even for like, I think America will love it, but I don't want my sisters to be like, are you a fucking loser? Or my parents to be like, that was dark. You know, I just don't want my family to see it, although they listen to this podcast and so now they know. But, um, you know, the same thing happens every time I talk to Derek and Jeremy, the creators, and I'm like, I've got all my notes. And they're like, they're like, we've learned from years of doing this and the psychology behind it. And I hadn't done one in a few years. They're like, you're not going to think you got the story out because you're not going to remember some of it. But we run the show and we know what parts of the story we, we want and so we're not going to let you go home until you you get it but you're going to be like no 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 I got to it again and that's what happened of course we filmed from like 4pm to midnight and I was like no one more time I just I gotta get it right and then afterwards I was like I didn't do the story and then I did the classic thing of like I'm not even that drunk though and uh, I did the breathalyzer and she's like you blew a .14 or something like that I don't know what the legal limit is but it's well over it but I was like that doesn't seem high, but either way, I mean, they're not giving you a breathalyzer because they're like, now get in your car. You have, they provide transportation, but they just have to make sure you're not like, you know, poisoning yourself. And so I, I, re, I made a little video and recorded it because I wanted to show people who drink and drive what you actually look like when you're like, I don't think I'm drunk. And like, maybe you don't seem it, but then you blow the thing. And you're like, oh, oh, so, but I did have like a moment of blackout because I don't remember what talking on some of it. Um, and then I got home and I woke up the next day and I I had taken a charcoal pill, which people, I don't know if it's good for you. It doesn't seem like it's good for you to put charcoal in your body, but it is the new thing. And uh, that really helped the hangover. Like I didn't have a stomach thing the next day. I didn't have an intense headache. The hangover was really quite a lot better than they've been in the past. I was really surprised by that. So charcoal it up, everybody. But I got, I woke up in the morning and I was just fuzzy because I hadn't slept and I was really dehydrated and I get anxious if I'm hungover. So I didn't leave the house that day, which I already planned on not doing. But anyway, so I I was like, oh my God, my coat. I, I have this fabulous like fake leather coat with fake fur trim on it. And I was like, I left my coat. I left my coat there and my bag of everything and my makeup and it. And then I went around the house and looked in the closet and I'd put everything away the night before and don't don't even remember. So that's I'm fun in a blackout. I'll organize things. So we'll end on this. How many minutes do I have left or did I do? Uh, Okay, great. We've got eight minutes. This is just going to turn off automatically after an hour. So. Um, I thought this was kind of a cool question. Somebody said, when you first moved to L.A., did you have any they really do that moment? For example, when I visited New York City years ago, I was surprised that people really sleep on the subway. 
Um, I can see why the subway can be soothing. I was even more surprised when they woke up just as their stop was coming up. Juan. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's a great New York skill. Um, I used to do that as well. I would fall asleep like after work, just that kind of like it kind of lulls you to sleep. And then somehow your body knows and it must be somewhere in your head. You hear them announcing the stop before yours. But there's a few times I've woken up on Coney Island. And I was like, oh, I didn't mean to go here. And so, uh, but they really do do that. And I was one of them. I think there was nothing in LA that I thought, oh, they really do that. Except maybe, um, I didn't see the movie Swingers until after I moved to LA and, and, and until after it had been a big hit. But that scene where they all drive separately to go somewhere, that really is an L.A. thing because you might all be meeting at this restaurant, but you're all coming from different parts of town. So there's not really unless one person lives near the restaurant, like you could all go and pick them up. But then if they could walk. So that sort of thing is driving separate cars everywhere is really an L.A. thing. But I feel like where I really noticed it was when when I've been to Paris is people go to the market once a day. And so you do see someone walking with a paper bag and a baguette sticking out of it. Everyone, everyone is walking around with a small paper bag and like a celery stock and a baguette and smoking. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this, this cannot be, this cannot be real. This cannot be real, but it's totally real. Go to Paris and watch everybody with their baguettes. And uh, I think anytime too, I'm in New York City and I'm like, are you a in a movie like any construction guy that's like hey Tony I'm over here doing the construction and then like a lady walks by and is like hello ma'am you know either does that or some kind of cat call I'm like this is so New York um what else was I going to mention I think that well we have one more okay now we're going to get into some we're going to get in some fitness but before I do that I want to remind you guys all buy tickets to see me on tour use hashtag Jen Kirkman tour um Please follow me on Instagram. It's at Jen Kirkman Podcast. That is this podcast. You get exclusive things on there. I'm I'm going to be shutting down the Facebook um, once I get the Patreon thing up and running. Please send me an email. You can ask me questions. I seem fun at gmail.com. I would ask that people not get too personal. Somebody wrote me a really long email about my friend Brody who died and asked me, like, now that he's been gone a while, like, what do you think of this? And what was was he what was he really like? And what about his performances? And like that that's a real person in my life. Like that's a death I'm still getting over. And it freaks me out. And I'm not like it's it's rude to ask and it's rude to just email someone out the blue so they're going about their day and then they just read all these questions like I'm never going to talk about what he was really like in real life and my relationship with him because it's not anyone's business um and so no um and then just you know like I'm not gonna give hot takes on like other comedians like unless I have you know oh let's talk about the girls that called out Harvey Weinstein um Harvey Weinstein was invited to a private event in New York City by this group called the Actors Hour. And I guess they've invited him before. And I think he's gone before or something. And the restaurant they had it at also defended him being there. And these women, comedians, were getting on stage and they were like, is that fucking Harvey Weinstein in a tiny place? And he's sitting there with a bunch of women around him, all these enablers, and they like laughing and just living his life. I didn't think he was in jail, but I forgot. I thought he was like at house arrest or something. He's just out and about. He was out and about, paid his bail. And these women were making joke. I mean, they were trying to do stand up, but they <clears throat> this one woman was like, I'm a rape survivor. <clears throat> oh, God, I forget her name. But <clears throat> and she was like, and there's an elephant in the room like there's a rapist here. And all the guys online who talk about free speech and they're like free speech. You know, I can't say Asian slurs, free speech, free speech. And then every guy who loves free speech so much when women were calling out like America's number one rapist 
in the room, four feet away from him, and they were rape survivors themselves. You don't understand the anger women have about this stuff, even if you weren't raped. Like, we're so fucking tired of seeing guys walking around being able to do everything. They were like, due process, due process. So that's what guys love to yell. They yell free speech when they want to protect their free speech to be offensive and hurt people. And then when women use free speech, they go due process. He has allegedly raped 70 people. Can we just admit that some people, yes, some things are nuanced, like the Aziz Ansari letter. I'm not, I'm not, uh, my my take on that is sounds like he's a really bad date. It sounds like he's this guy who thinks he's a feminist for many cultural, political reasons. But when it comes down to one-on-one with women, a very important part of being a woke guy is listening to body cues and all this stuff. And it just sounds terrible and like he's got some bad moves. But um, that's because we need to have a bigger conversation about women's needs. It's not inherently illegal what he did. And I don't, you know, if I saw him out and about, I wouldn't be like, shun you, you devil. But someone who's accused of 70 women um, at, at a certain point, you have to go, you know what? There is a spectrum of abuse and we don't let that slide. And when he's out and about in public and the way he behaved and, you know, um, Ronan Farrow's book came out this week and the way that Harvey Weinstein behaved with like having, you know, like Ukrainian thugs come after people. And, you know, he he's ha- he has enough money to like run a lot of things in this world. Like it's fucking evil on a giant corporate global scale. And all these guys that they didn't like Hillary Clinton because she was too this and she was too that. They, when they're sticking up for Harvey Weinstein and due process all of a sudden, fuck that shit. So these girls are really brave. And, you know, um, one of them was just hysterical screaming, I'm four feet away from a rapist. You're going to let him sit here? And they escorted her out, but not him. And, you know, when women are like that, when we are so angry because we are being forced to share a space with these people, it's a big fucking deal. And you lose your goddamn mind. You just, you can't take it anymore. And so I I, I just feel like what, what men don't understand is we are all kinds of things. We are sad. We are angry. We are, we are so tired of it. And we're tired of even bringing this shit public because we don't want to read the comments anymore of, well, can, you know, Hannibal Burris called Bill Cosby out and he wasn't, you know, saying mean things. It's like he made a joke in his act. And the papers picked it up. Bill Cosby wasn't in the fucking room. And he's not the gender that Bill Cosby rapes. And Hannibal's a friend of mine. I love him. And I think he got a lot of death threats after that. And um, I think it was awesome what he did. But he wasn't trying to call Bill Cosby out. He was talking about the thing that everyone knew and was making jokes about, like, why don't we do anything about this? But it was, uh, I don't think he ever meant to start what he started. But this is more like you're reacting to a rapist four feet from you. And I, they have every right to behave how they did. And um, and it's just heartbreaking. Like, we're just fucking sick of it. And I think what we're more sick of is the pushback when we do say anything. Like, that, that men are suddenly so in love with due process over a human being trying to explain to them. You know, it's like, just enough. Enough with your legal mumbo-jumbo. You're not on the fucking Ari Melber show. I was. Okay, great. Until next week, have fun.